Today's daf is daf samachay, page 65 in the Hilagim is Seches Nedorim. And we are in the ninth parak. And as we explained, the um, uh, Gemara's focus right now is the proper way to nullify or remove vows. Here we go. Zakti Gemara. Now we learned yesterday, just to just remind ourselves, we learned yesterday that Maishra Rabbeinu made a vow to Yisro. That he's not going to leave Midian. And then later on, what happened was, Nadav and Aviyu, um, it seems in the Pasuk they died. And we want to bring a proof from there that something that happens later on gives the rights to remove a vow. And the Gemara ultimately said that no, there's no proof from there because all that happened was they didn't die. All that happened was they became poor. Okay, but once we're talking about the vow that Maish Rabbeinu made to Yisro, we're going to keep talking on that theme. Get ready for a real, real, real fascinating Gemara from here until the Mishnah, at least. Fascinating after the Mishnah as well, but a fascinating topic till the Mishnah. Tanya, top word, top line, we learned in the Bereise. Somebody makes a vow. Forbidding benefit from his friend. is In order to remove the vow, your friend needs to be there. Very interesting. couple of reasons brought down amongst the Mepharshim as to why. If you're going to remove the vow, why? One Simple answer is Marasayan. Marasayan means if you have a vow and people know about the vow and you don't tell them that you released the vow, so it looks like you're sinning. So therefore it's, impor- it's important that the one you made the vow from, forbidding benefit from, is aware of why you're not keeping the vow anymore. That's one approach. Another approach is that we want there to be an element of embarrassment that exists over there. That's be an element of embarrassment. That, um, that exists so that if he's going to nullify the vow, it has to be real. We want him to be embarrassed now that he's, uh, trying, to remove, now that he's trying to remove the vow. Okay? Says the Gemara, we How do we know that the guy needs to be there? Go return to Mitzrayim. Why? Because all the men are dead. Again, not of an aviu, they became poor. And Midian, you made the vow. You got to go back to, you have to make sure you're in Midian, where you took the vow in the same place, in the same setting, with the same people, i.e., Yisro, in order to remove the vow. says in the Pusik, Vayoel Moshe. And Moshe was Vayoel, for the expression of dwelling. In the, in the same place, but also by Yoel here is teaching me, we know Allah is an expression of an oath. Ain't the Allah Elishvua. The word Allah is referring to an oath. And Nebuchadnezzar, when he appointed Sirkiyahu to oversee um, Yehuda, he had to make a vow. There's a fascinating story that we're about to get into. Interesting. Nebuchadnezzar had, had um, uh, the... Tzidkiyahu, who was the king of Yehuda, take a vow. What was the vow? So listen closely to this incredible story. And Tzidkiyahu didn't listen to the vow. What happened? My Mardu say, how did Tzidkiyahu rebel against the vow? What was the story? So what happened was like this. You ready? As bad as the Bukhar was, he still had standards. He had standards. He proved, he conducted himself like he's an elite. He's got proper etiquette, he's got values, good ethics. Listen to what happens. 
Whatever happened, there was a time. I don't know how the situation happened. King Tzidkiyahu, who was appointed by Nebuchadnezzar, caught Nebuchadnezzar eating a live rabbit. He saw Nebuchadnezzar taking a rabbit and eating it live, which clearly was an animalistic thing and not befitting of a king. Unbefitting of a king to be eating a live rabbit. Beneath Nebuchadnezzar's standards. It's like somebody being caught red-handed. Yeah? So Omar Lay, Nebuchadnezzar says to Sirkiyo, Ishtavali, you better swear to me, you don't reveal on to others, and you don't let the matter become exposed. Okay? So he's basically threatening him, you better not tell anybody I was eating a live rabbit. Ishtava. Tzidkiyo swore. L'saif in the end, Tzidkiyo couldn't handle the secret. It was too hard for him to not tell people. Why? Because when Nebuchadnezzar showed his wickedness to Kal Yisrael, Tzidkiyo viewed this piece of information as an integral part of getting rid of Nebuchadnezzar. And causing a rebellion against him. So what he did was, he was calling the tremendous tzar that he could help Klai Yisro, but at the same time he had, a, he had an oath that he's not allowed to break. So what did he do? He became sick. And Itchil Ashru Asay, he, he, um, he, he uh, went to Chachamim, he went to the Sanhedrin as we're going to see, and he had his shvua be removed. The Omar, and then he told people about what the Vuchanetzar did. The Omar, and he opened his mouth. So Shama the Vuchanetzar, the Kamevazanle, the Vuchanetzar saw, here it means he heard, but he heard that people were, were uh, making fun of him. Hey, the Vuchanetzar eating live rabbits, low life Meshugana. Now, who's the only person who knew about him eating live rabbits? Tzidkiyo. He's the only one who knew. Nobody else knows. You know that joke they say about the president? They tell the president of the United States, pick your favorite president and insert it into this joke. All right? Reagan, Bush, Obama, Biden, Clinton, whoever you want, whoever you want. One of the presidents was told that there's one place where there's no secrets. A mikvah. A mikvah. You go to a mikvah, every yid knows everything. So the president says to himself, he said, I don't believe it. He says, I don't believe it. Secondly, if a taka is happening, I, I got to know the secrets. So he goes undercover. He goes undercover. We're going to call it Obama. Barack Obama goes undercover to a mikvah. Fregnished how? Don't ask how. So he sits, he's sitting in the mikvah. And um, he says to the guy next to you, he says, New versus Nias. What's news? What's going on? The guy says, Don't tell anybody. Obama's coming to the mikveh. Okay. Fine. So that, what's the, what's the terrorists of that joke? What's that? You talk and learn everything in the mikveh. Even the president, they're trying to go undercover. He's heard about it. Everything, everything, you know, learn everything. So, Nebuchadnezzar hears, that everybody's talking about his live rabbit in the mikveh. I just said it's in the mikveh, but yeah, that's where the noise is. He's embarrassed. 
Now, who's the only person to know? He brought the Sanhedrin and Tzirkiyo, Omar Lahain, and he said to them, Tzirkiyo removed his vow with you, my dear Sanhedrin. He already swore in the name of heaven that he's never going to tell anybody. How in the world can you let him remove his oath? He swore. Omri lay, they said to He told us he wants us to remove his oath. Nuchanetzar is not a slouch, he's a Tamil Chukim. And he says, Are you allowed to remove an oath when the person who the oath is being made about is not even there? I thought the halacha is, says Nebuchadnezzar. That when you want to remove an oath, whoever the oath was about needs to be there. You didn't call me in and ask me to, to stand in when you removed the, the oath. So Amri lay before him. They said, you're right. That's be in front of him. So why would you do what you did? You, Sanhedrin, why would you remove the oath if I wasn't there? You know what they said? What would you do? My time, I am recently Zikio. Why didn't you tell Tzirkiyot that I need to be there? Miyad. And because of this, immediately, you'd think the Bukhanetzar chopped off their heads, right? It's not what he did. It's incredible. He said, you know what? I don't really respect you guys anymore. I've lost respect. And therefore, he removed the pillows from underneath where they were sitting and he had them sit on the ground to show his uh, lack of approval of them removing the vow of Tzidkiyo. Okay, fine. Bottom line, what you see from this story and, what, and the halacha of the Mishnah is that, uh, I'm sorry, the halacha of the Brisa is that if you make, an, if you make a vow that, has, that involves forbidding something from your friend, your friend should be there. Period. End of that Gemara. Here we go. Next halacha, Zok the Mishnah, Remei Reimer. Get ready for this cryptic statement. There are certain happenstances, certain things, that it's considered like a new event took place, a new happening, but it's not like a new happening. Now remember, we did in the previous Mishnah, if you have a vow and then something new takes place, for example, I, example, one of the examples we had, I make a vow, I'm never walking into this house. And now this house becomes a shul. Nailad, a new reality happened. So you had a machlaikas, whether you're allowed to go into the shul or not. Without, you know, whether you're allowed to go into the shul. Rav Meir says there are certain things, it's like a new happening took place, and it's also like a new happening did not take place. Okay, pretty cryptic over there. And Chacham do not agree. Okay, also cryptic. We have to know the case. What's happening here? So says the Mishnah to clarify. Kate said, "What's going on?" Omar. Somebody says, I will never marry that woman. Her father is a good for nothing. Never will I ever marry a woman with a father like that. Okay, and then guess what happens? Omrulai, they tell him, Mace, her father's dead. Oi, or they tell him, Shasa Chuva. The father's done Chuva. See, he's not a good for nothing. 
Or, He says, I'm never going into this house. You know why? I hate dogs. Oh, I'm scared of dogs. There's an angry dog in that house. Or I know there's snakes inside of there. Listen, dog's not around anymore. He's in dog heaven. Yeah? He's in dog heaven. So these things are like Kanailan. It's like a new happening. And it's not like a new happening. But the Chum do not agree that this new thing allows the Nadarim to be nullified. Okay. Let's get into the Gemara. Short Gemara. We got another more couple Mishnayas on Amabez. Kainam Shani. Kainam Shani. Nichnas the Bayezeh. Shakela Bechulu. Meis Nailaru. Okay. Says the Gemara. Meis Nailaru. If he dies, it's a new happening. So why are we saying that it clearly is something that's going to remove a nether? It should be whatever the Allah is of Nailad. Amravuna Nasakit Taila Nidra Bidabar. We make it as if, when he said, for example, I'm never going to this house because there's a crazy dog. I'm never marrying this woman because there's a crazy father. Since he said his problem with it, it's as if he's making the nether dependent on that issue. He could have just said, I'm never marrying this woman. I'm never going to that house. But that's not what he said. He said, I'm never marrying that woman because her father's a nut. Or I'm never going to that house because the dog's sugar. It's wild. Since he said why, it's as if his nether is dependent on that. Hence, it's nullified automatically. It's gone. Once the reason's gone, the nether's gone. Rabbi Yechanan, Rabbi Yechanan says, Kvar meis u kvar tshuva ka It's when they say to him that the father already died or the father already did tshuva. Meaning, it's not that he says, I'm never marrying her because her father's crazy, father's terrible, wicked, whatever. And then later on, the father did Chuvas. No, says Rabbi Yechelen, you know what the case could even be? Where they tell him, the father's not crazy. He's not as big of a lunatic as you think. The guy's fine. He's a fine guy. Maybe you heard about something he did 30 years ago. Fine, but he's done Chuvas since then. He's a fine guy. Relax. So that's not considered Nailat. That's not considered a new happenstance that took place afterwards. Because really, even at the time that he made the vow, the issue that he thought was an issue wasn't an issue. He said, I'm not married because her father's nuts. And then we tell him, the father ain't crazy. The father was nuts. And now he's a normal guy. That's not noilad. That is just a mistake in the vow. And everybody would agree that when you make a mistake in the vow, the vow never happened. Okay. Top of Samachayim Nebez. Masav Rebaba. Rebaba asked a challenging question. If he says, I'm not marrying this girl, I'm not marrying this lady, because she is ke'ura. Ke'ura means she's ugly. She's ugly. I'm not never marrying her. Varehi not. And it turns out, it's not true. Shechaira. I'm not marrying her because she has dark skin. Varehi Levana. She doesn't have dark skin. Ketzara. I'm marrying, not marrying her, so short. Varehi Arucha. She's not short. Allah is mutrullah. So everything you said was just a mistake. Nothing happened. You don't even go to our chacham to remove the vow. Even though you said her name, thinking that you had but the whole thing was a toy. The whole thing was a mistake. Lemne Shakura Vanas is not. Not because she was ugly and she became beautiful. 
The whole thing was a mistake. That's why you're off the hook. Now, Bishlamala Ravuna makes it according to the first reason of Ravuna, the Amar Nasakatel in the Jabidavar. Somebody says, I'm not going into this house because there's a crazy dog. I'm not marrying this lady because there's a crazy dad. It's as if you made your nether dependent on that issue. And therefore he says, when you're making a nether dependent on a matter or something, you're going to say the whole thing was a mistake. Fine. So the same thing over here. right? He thought she was this, she thought she was that. Fine. The whole thing was a mistake. So the nether never took place. Elder of but according to Rabbi Yechon and Damar, Kvar Mesu Kvar the case in our Mishnah is not Nailad because when he made a vow, I'm not marrying her because her father's a nut. And it turns out the father was dead. There's no father. Or the father wasn't a nut. He had already straightened himself out. So then, Lamali Lamisne Trezivni Nadatais. Why did you got to give two examples of a nether betais? You're basically saying the same thing. So Gemara says, Kasha, you're right. It will be a question on Rabbi Echanan, but it seems from the end of the Gemara, it's not strong enough of a question to say Rabbi Echanan is wrong. You want to ask, I, it's as if Rabbi, according to Rabbi Echanan's shot, it's like our Mishnah went to the redundant school of redundancy. Okay, fine. We went to the redundant school of the redundancy. Fine. <clears throat> but to say that he's wrong, that we don't have a clear proof to. So the Misa, we're walking away from this Gemara saying that, you know, we, uh, our Mishnah had said, if a guy says, I'm not marrying her because of her father, I'm not going to the house because of the dog, I'm not uh, going to the house because of the snake, or whatever these reasons are, why do, how is this different than a regular case of Nailad? Ravuna is very sensible by saying, because you made your whole nether dependent on the reason, and once there's no reason, there's no nether. Rabbi Echanan gave his own, he says, no, it was already in existence. According to him, we have a question. Either one may be correct. Ravuna seems to be, you know, no issues with his explanation. Rabbi Echanan, we do. We are walking away with a question on him, but not enough to blow him out of the water. Fine. Next Mishnah. About 10, 11 lines from the top of Samachay, Amun Bey, 65b. Here we go. V'yayd Amar Rav Meir. And Rav Meir also taught us. Paischen la'im in akos of if somebody comes to remove a vow, we will find an opening to remove a vow from verses in the Torah. The Aimrim Layam will say to him, If you would have known that by saying Shimon can never benefit from my stuff, it would be an Isser Dairaisa. You're not allowed to take revenge against somebody. Why would somebody say that Shimon can't benefit from his stuff? You don't like him. You don't like him. He hurt you, whatever it was. So guess what happens when you made a vow? You transgressed. You took Nakama, you took revenge. So we'll say to him, if you would have known that by taking the vow, it's a biblical transgression, the Allah is or burning a grudge, Allah is and hating another person, the mitzvah say, positive command, living with your brother, not separating your brother from your possessions, referring to any Jew, which teaches us that if there's somebody who's poor, we're obligated to help them out financially. And by you forbidding this guy to benefit from you, you're removing the, the opportunity of a mitzvah to help another yid. We say to him, if you, did you know when you took a vow that you would have automatically a number of these transgressions in Omar? And he says, listen, 
Oh my goodness, I wasn't even thinking about all these issues. I raise a mutter. We will, st- we will, under this circumstance, nullify the vow. So it doesn't only mean that he has to regret within the vow something that happened, something too difficult, something whatever. It could even be where he doesn't understand the ramifications, the spiritual and mitzvah side of the spiritual ramifications. That also, if he, um, if he says he wasn't aware, we will say to him, okay, your vow could be nullified. Incredible. Zog the Gemara. Whoever becomes poor, lav ani nofil. It's not on me. Okay? What does that mean? The Gemara is asking. A very basic question, which is as follows. Our Mishnah implies, by making a vow that, that Shimon cannot benefit from you, if he were to become poor, you're not allowed to give him tzedakah. So you're not going to fulfill your obligation. The Gemara is asking a very basic question. It says, not true. You know why? Because even though you can't give the money directly to Shimon, who became poor, you can give the money to a charity fund and that charity fund can help out Shimon with your money and you would still fulfill your mitzvah dairaisa of a chayach You'd still fulfill your biblical obligation of taking care of somebody when they're poor. See, even if somebody is us, is forbidden to benefit from me, I still have ways to fulfill this Mishnah. So why does the Mishnah say that once I forbid benefits to somebody, I cannot... Um, I cannot, uh, he cannot benefit from me. It's not true. He could benefit just in an indirect way. Omar Lehi says back to him, What happens is, when somebody becomes poor, you know the first thing they do? They reach out to their friends and family. Reach out to their friends and family. They're not going to go straight to a communal fund, a gemach. They'll say, listen, I need short-term loan. I need this, that, that, that. By you making a vow, of somebody you're affiliated with, whether it's a family member, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a friend, whether it's anybody who you who uh, cross paths with you, you've caused the problem because now they're not going to initially come to you. Granted, once they become dependent on the communal coffers, now you can help them out. But initially, you will not be able to help them out, and that's the you know, and that's the stage of anius, the stage of poorness. That our Mishnah is referring to when it says you're not going to be able to fulfill your mitzvah. Of a imach. Okay. Beautiful. Next Mishnah. Paiskin the Adam we remove a person from a vow if it impacts the ksuva of his wife. Okay. Meaning. Somebody makes a vow, and he comes to Bezin. Bezin are to say to him, as we're about to see. Bezin's going to say to him, one second, dude, mister, fellow, do you realize by making that vow, you're going to be obligated to divorce your wife and pay her out a ksuba? Do you realize that? 
says, We will use that line of thinking and that as an opportunity to remove, uh, to remove a vow. Okay. Umaisa, and there was a story. Be'echad with a person. He made a vow that his wife cannot benefit from him anymore. Now, if your wife cannot benefit from you, what happens automatically is you're going to be obligated to divorce her. Because now there's a biblical transgression of being together. And since you can't be together intimately, there's a key of divorcing. And once they're divorcing, you're going to have the derabonon, the rabbinic ksuva. So a guy made another that has made a vow, his wife cannot benefit from him. And her ksuva was harbei mula, a lot of money. Okay. So um, he, uh, he doubled her ksuba. If she was a basula, if she was a baula, he quadrupled the ksuba. Okay, ubalafnei Rabbi Akiva, and he came upon Rabbi Akiva v'chivoy litein laksuva. and Rabbi Akiva said, "Listen, buddy, you made a vow. Now you're going to have to divorce her and pay out the ksuba, even though it's harbei mula, even though it's a lot of money." He said to Rabbi Akiva, My father left me. That's half my inheritance. So it's actually my, it's, it's half of the total inheritance my father left. My brother got 400. I got 400. That's my entire inheritance. And now I'm going to have to pay her 400. Why do I got to give her the four per hundred? Maybe I should only have to pay her half. Let, let me do a split ski with her. Sorry. Your ksuba says she's getting 400. You took a vow and you're obligated to divorce her. You got to pay ksuba. I don't care if it doesn't work out for you financially. That, you should have thought about that before. That's your own fault. Very often we ask Shilas after the fact. After we mess ourselves up. Now what? Bekiva says, listen, a little foresight, a little forethought. If I would have known how dramatic the outcome of my vow would be, and I would have made a vow. The Tiru Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva heard this, says, oh, so now there's no vow, now there's no obligation to divorce, and since there's no obligation to divorce, there's no chiyuv to pay a ksuba, because you didn't know, you didn't fully grasp what the ramifications, financial ramifications, of your vow is going to bring. Okay. Says the Gemara. About uh, six lines from the bottom of Samachim Abiz. Metaltele mi meshabdi Says Gemara, one second. I have a question on this whole story. This guy wrote 400 dinners of value in the Ksuba. I thought a Ksuba, asked the Gemara, can only be collected from land. Can she collect this guy's cash? Could she take his money? I'll answer you by saying, maybe the father left behind land worth 800 dinner. So now he has 400 dinner and land and it's taka mishubit to her. Right? She has a lien on it. 
says that can't be asked the Gemara beautifully because what Rabbi Kiva said to him if you didn't have the money to pay the Ksuva you'd even have to sell your own hair on your head that's not land nobody grows turf on their head nobody grows grass soil on their head right so that's Rabbi Akiva and ask the Gemara I'm sorry why did Rabbi Akiva say you'd even have to sell your hair as a shetel it's not true you go and collect karka, says the Gemara, Achi Gemara. Even if you're so poor that in order to eat, even if you're so poor that in order to eat, you would have to sell the hair on your head, even under those circumstances, you would still be obligated to pay out Ruksuba. Meaning, if a husband writes Ruksuba and then he gets divorced, and then he has an obligation to pay out the ksuba. He can't say, um, one second, I, I didn't realize that's going to take up all my savings. I didn't realize it's going to take my retirement money. I didn't, we say, <laughs> listen, even if it means you're that poor. Now, the Misa, we're still sticking with the fact that she could collect only karka. We're sticking with that. But we're, we're pointing is she could collect karka, she could collect land, even if it'll make him so poor that he's going to have to live off selling the hair on his head. Says the Gemara. Shmas Mina, we learn out from Rebbe Akiva's halacha, ain misadrin We don't, we don't make a seder. We don't, you know, we don't uh, start to um, assess how much money the guy has before paying off his chiyuvim. Because it seems, according to Rebbe Akiva's statement, if you owe somebody money, it doesn't make a difference how much money you have in your own bank account. You got to pay up. You owe somebody a thousand bucks and you only have $1,100 and it's the day to pay. You have a chiyuv to pay up that thousand. Even if it means you only have $100 left. Even if it means you have a zero left. You have to, you can be obligated to pay it up. So you learn from here. There's no need to assess all the property of a Baal in order to you know, obligate him to pay back. You have a chiv, you have a chiv. Amr of Nachman, Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Nachman, the son of Yitzchak, asks a challenging question, top of tomorrow's daf. And he says, I don't understand. What we mean over here is that not that we're not going to you know, look at the entire property of the fellow. What we mean over here is that we're not going to remove the ksuba, uh, the ksuba obligation. Hence, what does this mean? Ready? Rav Nachman Yitzchak holds that according to Rabbi Kiva Shita, according to Rabbi Kiva's opinion, if paying out the ksuba will actually make him very poor, we're not going to obligate that, that, that uh, complete payment right now. Maybe we won't. I so what do we do? What happens is we leave the ksuba, meaning we kind of we have her or we have the Bezdin hold on to the ksuba document, and this ksuba document will be like an outstanding lien that she has over her husband. Hence, if he goes out into business and he starts making money, that money would have to be used. But according to um, according to Rav Nachman, 
Bar Yitzchak, he says Rabbi Kiva would absolutely would actually not obligate a person to become uh, to become very poor to a point where he has to sell the hair on his head. What he's telling him is that it doesn't make you know what the guy want to do. The guy says, Rebbe, I don't have much, so let me just pay her less. Rebbe Kiva says no such thing. If you have an outstanding chiv, you have an outstanding chiv. You're gonna have to pay the whole thing. Maybe not now, because you don't have enough. But at some point, you don't get a discount. You're gonna have to. At some point, you're gonna have to pay it out. That is how Rav Nachman Yitzchak understands Rabbi Akiva. We will hold it here for today. We're up to the Mishnah, top line of Samachvav Amar Aleph. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening, everybody. Zay Gesund.